This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects. But there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. For generations of Americans, it's been conventional wisdom. A college education is the key to success, the best path to a better job, home, and life. In 1940, less than 5% of us finished college. Today, that number is nearly 40%. But too often, along with a degree, comes sometimes staggering financial debt. Does college still deliver the American dream? Our David Pogue hits the books. Kira Cheney is 28 and carries a six-figure college debt. It's a common theme that people will be paying for nearly their entire life. You, you think that might happen to you? Absolutely. But now, big employers are starting to ask, has a college degree become an unnecessary obstacle? People who actually have the right skills training are five times more likely to succeed in the job than people who have a college degree. It's counterintuitive. Is the high cost of higher education worth it? Coming up 
on Sunday morning. Chef Jose Andres and director Ron Howard are both masters of their craft. Tracy Smith talks with them about their collaboration to help people in need. Chef's cooking, you see? Chef Jose Andres has fed thousands of people in need, but he didn't want to be in a movie about it until Ron Howard convinced him. And I said, uh, did you ever see Apollo 13? This is what I love, our teams coming together and solving a problem. Right here is the kitchen area. And helping people who are going through hell, like those in Ukraine, makes a hell of a story. I'm thrilled to be part of it. It's an honor. Chef Jose Andres and director Ron Howard ahead on Sunday morning. Anthony Mason catches up with Lake Wobegon's founding father, Garrison Keillor. Tony DeCopel will be talking with Saturday Night Live's Weekend Update anchor, comedian Michael Che. And more. This is Sunday morning, May 15th, 2022. And we'll be back after this. Congratulations, graduates. It's college commencement season, and we wish all the best to the class of 2022. But this also seems to be the right time to ask a tough question. Was it worth all that money, all that hard work? David Pogue has our crash course. 28-year-old Kira Chini works for the government, lives in a basement apartment with her boyfriend in San Francisco, and stresses about her college loans. How much did they add up to about? Uh, it's around like 280 some thousand. $280,000? Yeah. Jeannie followed the classic recipe for success. She graduated from Penn State, but now she's facing down decades of debt. Have you ever tried to figure out if I put aside this much a month, this is the year when I'll pay off those $280,000? I mean, that would be the goal. Um, I've always thought of winning the lottery, but... <laughs> And Cheney is not alone. 43 million Americans carry student debt. They owe the government more than $1.7 trillion. And about two-thirds of all graduates leave college carrying debt. Many will work their entire careers without being able to pay it off. No wonder college debt has become a White House priority. We can't go out as much as we used to for dinners. And we can't take as much trips as we want to unless it's in our budget. So it does uh, affect us. One reason for the crisis, skyrocketing tuition. Another reason, more people going to college in the first place. In the early 1960s, only about 8% of Americans had a college degree. And now it's getting close to 40%. Wow. Right? So it's a big difference. You were pretty special in the 1960s if you had a college degree. Peter Capelli is a professor of management at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business. But you are also the author of a book relevant to our topic today yep. called Will College Pay Off? That's right. Will College Pay Off? Um, <laughs> it depends. <laughs> There's no doubt that going to college is incredibly useful for people in terms of improving their lives. What everybody's interested in more is financially. Is this a good investment? Will it pay off in that you'll be better off than in a high school graduate? Yeah, if they graduate. For sure. If they don't, maybe not. Trouble is, most students don't. The astonishing statistic 
is that only 40% of full-time college students graduate in four years. Less than half? Less than half. And even if you pause your schooling, your debt keeps right on growing. If it takes you six years to graduate, you've got six years of interest accumulation. So the old formula, spend four years in college, get financial security, is no longer a sure thing. I'm applying for the position of user experience designer. But some new formulas are springing up in its place. Nothing is ever set in stone. Whether you want to like, go to college or go straight to the workforce, everything's changing. Natasha and Stephanie Ramos and their father Javier live in Connecticut. Natasha avoided massive debt by starting her college career inexpensively. I got two years at a community college. And finishing at a state college. Connecticut University student debt is way better than private school student debt. So I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Stephanie attends a vocational high school where students can learn trades like carpentry, plumbing, or hairdressing. But she's taking a shortcut to the corporate world thanks to the Google Professional Certification Program. Providing you with job-ready skills to start or advance your career in IT. For $39 a month, she can take video classes that prepare her for a career in technology. And the courses give you a certification at the end that looks very good for employers or for colleges, whatever route you want to take. By the time you're done with high school, you'd be in the working world at, what, 18 years old? Yep. Javier, do you put any pressure on her one way or another for financial reasons? I support going to college. But at a certain point, the last decision is on her. Well, seems to be working in your family. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> it looks pretty complicated. But the Google okay. program has already placed 75,000 workers into well-paying tech jobs at over 150 companies that are eager to hire them. Meanwhile, opportunities are opening up on the receiving end, too. 80% of what we call family-sustaining jobs, $60,000 or more, generally speaking, require a four-year degree. And so companies screen out people no matter what their intelligence is, their curiosity, their work ethic, uh, their adaptability. But if you don't have enough people to fill all the jobs that we need in this country, I think we have to re-examine it. Ken Frazier is the executive chairman and former CEO of Merck. Ginny Rometty is the former CEO of IBM. They've led a drive to eliminate the college requirement from as many of their company's job descriptions as possible. When I became CEO in 2012, we looked at every single job and said, do we need a college degree to start? Or could we translate into a set of skills you need? So what started as over 90% of jobs needed a college degree is now less than 50%. Wow. For example, lab techs and things of that nature. They don't necessarily need a degree in philosophy in order to do the job. Obviously, you're not doing this just because it's the right thing to do. There must be something in it for the corporations. Absolutely. This is not philanthropy. At the end of the day, you have people who you can retain longer because they're incredibly loyal. They're hardworking. You can access them for a lot less money. And our data has shown that their performance is equal to those with a four-year degree. But wait a minute. A college degree means you know how to apportion your time. You learn to communicate with others. It does, but there are studies that show that people who actually have the right skills training 
are five times more likely to succeed in the job than people who have a college degree. It's counterintuitive. Are you anti-college? Are you saying that we are absolutely not anti-college at all? It is about just recognizing you may start and go a different path than someone else. You know, college has lots of value beyond just getting a job. I mean, we think education is a good thing for people. It broadens their perspectives on the world. And what we've seen in these kinds of programs is eventually a substantial majority of these people go on and get a college degree. They just didn't get the college degree before they entered the workplace. It's a question of sequence, not a question of capability. To scale up this idea, Rometty and Fraser have founded 110, a coalition of 60 major employers, and counting. 110 came from the proposition that it would be useful if we sought to hire one million black Americans who lack a four-year college degree over 10 years into family-sustaining jobs. The coalition works with community colleges, job training organizations, and apprenticeships, persuading them to train young people for precisely the kinds of jobs that need filling. Rometty calls them new-collar jobs. In our country is a stereotype of white-collar, blue-collar. And we came up with the name new-collar as something different to say, no, 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 this is something new. New programs, new sequences, new-collar workers. For some careers, it's all part of a new wave of alternative paths that don't involve college or college debt. As for Kira Chini, she has a long-range plan. I really want to go to law school. If I can start making higher money, then I can afford my monthly payments. So was college worth it for you? I mean, I had fun in college. It was great experience, but for the lifetime of debt I'm going to be living with, I it's so hard. It's such a difficult question. During his acceptance speech, Will Smith said, love will make you do crazy things. You know what else makes you do crazy things? Crazy. <laughs> it's fair to say before each of our Sunday mornings, there's a Saturday night. Tony DeCopel gets an update from SNL's Michael Che. From Saturday Night News headquarters, this is Weekend Update. It's the longest-running sketch on Saturday Night Live. Good evening, I'm Chevy Chase, and you're not. And in the nearly 50 years of Weekend Update, some of comedy's greatest stars have taken a tour as host. It's Weekend Update with Colin Jost and Michael Che. But no one has done it quite like Michael Che. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced that Dolly Parton would be inducted this year, along with Eminem, Lionel Richie, and Carly Simon, which begs the question, what is rock and roll? <laughs> along with Colin Jost, his partner through eight seasons and counting, Che is now half of the longest-serving fake news team in SNL history. According to officials at the CDC, the first case of Ebola in the U.S. has been diagnosed in Texas. And according to WebMD, you already have it. Is that something you were looking for? No. You didn't want to make fun of guys like me on a weekly basis? I didn't want to have to read news. It's boring. <laughs> Did you feel like when you got there, you had arrived and you fit? Or did you feel like at any moment, someone's gonna tap you on the shoulder and say, excuse me, sir, you don't belong? I still feel like at any moment, someone's gonna tap me on the shoulder and say that. Still, this is like a very lucky thing to get to do, you know? Yeah. So I, if I'm found out at any moment, I'd be like, yeah, it's a good con. <laughs> 
is Black Jeopardy. Che is also one of SNL's head writers. Our contestants are Keely, a voice behind sketches like Black Shanice. Jeopardy, and Doug, which took off in 2016 with Tom Hanks as a white guy from the South with a lot in common okay, with his black co-contestants. Big girls for 200. Okay, and the answer there, skinny women can do this for you. Doug. What is not a damn thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And later this month, Che will debut a whole new series of sketches in season two of his HBO show, That Damn Michael Che. My brother's a cop. Oh, really? Yeah. Featuring more of his signature mix of what's funny. Wait, so how does that happen? And also true. Like a person of color. Hey, could you stop calling us colored people? No, I said person of color. It's the same thing, man. We picked the color. It's black. Just call us black. Fine. Comedy is a magic trick, I think. I think it's truly a magic trick. It's, I'm trying to make you laugh at something you see every day or don't see, and you wouldn't expect to get that emotion out. I went to a Black Lives Matter rally right after that to support, but I, I must have gone too late. <laughs> it was all white women there. <laughs> they had signs, stop racism. I was like, who are you talking to? <laughs> Each other? Michael Che Campbell grew up in public housing on New York's Lower East Side. I was raised poor black child. No, I was... Uh, That's Steve Martin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the jerk. No, I, um, I don't know. My childhood was... I was the youngest of seven. Uh, my mother worked, like, three jobs. My parents were separated, not yet divorced. We were very poor. When did you realize you knew how to make people laugh? Maybe in school, and I was very curious and then I would realize being curious was funny to people like to grown-ups because an inquisitive child can really knock you on your heels you know and young Michael Che was indeed named after that other famous Che the controversial revolutionary Che Guevara fitting you might say for a sometimes controversial comedian I like it for maybe a very toxic reason I do think that controversy brings people to talking. And I think as long as people are talking, it's, it's not all that bad. We can't even agree on Black Lives Matter. That's a controversial statement. Black Lives Matter. Not One of his best known routines as a stand-up is about Black Lives Matter. Black lives exist, can we say that? Can we say? And of course, its occasional counterpart, all lives matter. Like, well, all lives matter. Really? Semantics? <laughs> that would be like if your wife came up to you and was like, do you love me? And you were like, baby, I love everybody. What are you talking about? Uh, let me get the door for you. For all his sketch well, work, stand-up was Chase's first love. This is hot. This is a hot mic. That's a hot mic. And as we found on a recent visit back to Caroline's Comedy Club in New York. Yeah, isn't it a great view? This is a Probably still his deepest as well. When you're as excited about what you're saying as they are, it, it, it feels good. It feels and stand-up is what got Che to SNL after Colin Joe spotted Che on a stage like this one and invited him on as a guest writer. 
Che went on to become the first black anchor of Weekend Update and first black head writer in the show's history. I'm just being me. Though he says those titles don't carry much weight with him. I don't know I'm black until you tell me. The world tells you you're black. The world tells you you're poor. The world tells you you're successful. The world tells you all of these things. When you wake up, you're not thinking about none of that stuff. I'm just trying to grow up and not get killed and just be a little bit happy. You know what I mean? Like, that's all you're looking for. Everybody else tells you what you are and who you represent. You're just trying to be funny. And though Che recently said this would be his last season with SNL. New York City will no longer require bars and restaurants to pretend to look at vaccination cards. (laughs) He now says he's not really sure. The city will be lifting its vaccine mandate for indoor dining and events. Finally, said the next variant. That's what I was doing. I was at stand-up, and I was like, boy, I hate SNL. And then when I met SNL, I'm like, God, I don't want to be on the road. It's just what you do. Oh, that makes sense. But yeah, I am quitting this season, to ask you a question. <laughs> no. I'm kidding. I have no idea what I'm doing, man. It's just, uh, I don't know. I'd like to do more stand-up. When you love comedy as much as Michael Che does, just being a part of it is not a consolation prize. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's the whole dream come true. This is weird seeing you guys all in your masks, but, you know, this this audience is fully vaxxed. Uh, I don't really... And at just 38 years old, it's a dream Michael Che plans to hold on to. You know what? You know why I was skeptical? Because the vaccine was free. Free medicine in America? Uh, Since when? 40 years from now, God willing, we're all around. We will see Michael Che right here on a stage like this. Yeah, I'm a lifer. I'm lucky. One time she said... I'm lucky. I I figured out what I like and I get to do it. All right, let's cut it. Good night. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Almost from the start of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Chef Jose Andres and his team have been on the front lines, fighting back with warm meals. And director Ron Howard has been capturing it all on film. Tracy Smith shares a recipe for hope. In the sea of despair that is Ukraine, here is a lifeline. Chef Jose Andres and his World Central Kitchen have been on the ground for months, feeding thousands of Ukrainians whose lives have been upended by the war. How much are you back and forth these days? 
Well, I've been uh, more than 40-some days in Ukraine. And for so, him, that's heli- not all that unusual. Uh, it needs to be very quick. Pa, 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 boom. For the past 12 years, Andres has brought his not-for-profit kitchen to the front lines of catastrophe. They've served more than 60 million meals. You never know when the call is going to arrive. I'm from home or from, or from where? From earthquake-ravaged Haiti. There's no food, no water, nothing. To hurricane-battered Houston. Again, we're going through very high water. Take a look. I'm so glad that we have this track. But Ukraine is a little different. It's the first time Chef Andres and his people have operated in a war zone. Right here is the kitchen area. On April 16th, a missile hit one of your kitchens. How is everyone? Well, uh, the people that were with Walsandra Kitchen, we had four wounded persons and they went to the hospital and thanks God, everybody was fine. Truth is, it barely slowed them down. What happened the hours after was unbelievable. The owner of that restaurant uh, asked all the team members, what do you want to do? Um, and they said, we want to keep cooking. We want to keep fighting. For chefs, when there is need of uh, uh, food, we show up and we try to feed uh, people in need. That drive to keep serving against all odds is the subject of a documentary streaming this month on Disney Plus called We Feed People from director Ron Howard. Is it tough for you as a documentarian to remain detached from this? Uh, I wasn't really trying to be detached. I mean, uh, I was trying to share what I was learning and experiencing and feeling. We're good. Whenever there is a fight so hungry people may eat, we will be there. And that feeling apparently is contagious. The camera crews shooting footage for the film would often put down their cameras and start helping out. I said, okay, I get it. It's infectious, this spirit, but we only have so many shooting days. (laughs) We needed every single hand to do what we did. So more often than not, that camera was always put away. They became part of the humanitarian aid. Life is not a movie itself. Life is real pain, is real suffering. And what we have to do is spend every single second trying to relieve people from those hard moments they're going through. It's hard to imagine how he finds the time. The Spanish-born Andres is also a wildly successful restaurateur, with nearly two dozen restaurants or food trucks from coast to coast. But his World Central Kitchen has become his calling card. He started it in 2010, after the Haiti earthquake. Andres and his team will typically salvage whatever's left of restaurant kitchens on the ground and, using locals' recipes, work with them to make comfort food for thousands. You know why I love to go to these places? Because I always say that the best of humanity usually shows up in the worst moments of humanity. And what I get, the inspiration I get from every one of the World Central Kitchen members, but the new people that join us in the middle of the chaos, This, to me, is a gift I will never be able to pay back. I don't see this as a job. This is a call. I love your smile to the people. I love to see how much they love you. You embrace the spirit of Los Angeles Kitchen. Thank you. We met up with the chef for a brief moment in New York City. He was on his way to Spain and eventually to Ukraine again. 
and now you're part of it too, Ron. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of it. It's an honor. Howard says he was drawn to Jose Andres's unbelievable story, but at first, the chef balked at doing the film, worried that it'd be all about him. He was hesitant. He said, this is really World Central Kitchen. I don't want a camera following me around trying to tell the Jose story. Howard managed to convince him by bringing up another movie he'd once made. Houston, we have a problem. I said, uh, did you ever see Apollo 13? Apollo 13, you recall, was about an explosion aboard a spacecraft. This is what I love, our teams coming together and solving a problem. I want this mark. And the people on the ground who gave their all to bring the astronauts home alive. We got to find a way to make this fit into the hole for this, using nothing but that. Apollo 13 is also the movie that got Ron Howard interested in telling real-life stories, even though at an early test screening, one of the audience members actually thought Howard had made it all up. This is Odyssey. It's good to see you again. I remember it was a 23-year-old Caucasian male, rated it poor, wouldn't recommend it. Terrible. More Hollywood bullshit with two exclamation marks. They would never survive, three exclamation marks. I realized he didn't know it was a true story. And to him, it was hokey. And I thought, well, this is why you choose these subjects. This is why you tell a story based on real events, because you choose a subject where you say, how the hell could that have happened? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question for World Central Kitchen. How the hell could this have happened? <laughs> really? Yeah, that starts there. It? <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I know that very often people think we do the impossible possible. And I would love to tell you that what we do, we are the only people capable in planet Earth to do it. But this is far away from the truth. What we do is not so special. Of course, what makes them special is that they step up to help. Not next week, not tomorrow, but right now. Why do you think it works? I know you say, we don't have meetings, we don't make announcements, we just go. If we say we don't plan, it's because every hour you are planning for something is one hour you are missing of being on the ground feeding people. And sometimes you say, but you need to organize to start feeding people. Well, not really. You can always be driving. And you may decide to make right, to make left. And you don't know if you're taking the right turn. But let me tell you one thing, my friend. You will only be able to turn right or left if you are moving forward. It's never a wrong decision in an emergency if actually you are making things happen because you have the next day to correct that decision. At the end, it's always good because you are moving, you are driving forward, you are meeting the needs of the people. He's a man whose name is forever linked to a small town located in our collective imagination. But radio host and writer Garrison Keillor tells Anthony Mason the news from Lake Wobegon is a bit more complicated these days. The crowd at the Buell Theater in Denver, Colorado earlier this month traveled from all over. I came in from uh, Florida. We live here in Golden. We just met some nice people from New York. They came to see a reunion of a prairie home companion. Oh, the crowd is coming. I look around for you. 
the show Garrison Keillor hosted on public radio for some 40 years. I've been listening to Garrison Keillor since 1985. Very missed, glad to be here tonight. The night would mark the return of renowned Keillor characters. Guy Noir, Private Eye. Of the show's imaginary sponsor. This first half hour of our show brought to you as always by powder milk biscuits in the big blue box. And of nostalgic tales from the fictional Lake Wobegon. Well, it's been a quiet week in Lake Wobegon, Minnesota, my hometown. At its peak, a Prairie Home Companion reached more than 4 million listeners on more than 700 public radio stations. I went in the radio, started up a show long years ago. Keeler retired from the radio show in 2016. It's a comfort to become a tourist in old age and enjoy my irrelevance. He wrote in his recent book, Serenity at 70, Gaiety at 80. He will become an octogenarian in August. It's a great age because you lose your ambition, but you still love your work. Mm -hmm. And this is such a blessing. Keeler has never stopped writing. In his latest Lake Wobegon book, Boomtown, the author returns to the community he invented. And the people who live there correct me on the details. Why did you take such a sunny view of life in Lake Wobegon? You know, you left out adultery, you left out drunkenness and corruption. Why did you do that? How do you answer when they say you left out the alcoholism and the adultery? I accept being corrected. I appreciate correction. But Keeler's plans for aging gracefully have been clouded by Me Too accusations that surfaced just after his retirement. Me Too was a, was a very noble undertaking, you know, to fight bullies. There are bullies, and, yeah. uh, and uh, I'm in favor of fighting them. I'm not one myself. You've said basically that you felt you were the victim of an injustice and a good cause. Well, I wouldn't use the word victim. I've met too many people who really are victims, and I'm not. In the fall of 2017, Keeler was accused of sexual misconduct by a female colleague. Minnesota Public Radio, the distributor of his show, cut ties with Keeler effective immediately. There are some people who are going to be not happy that we're even here sitting talking to you. I don't know. That's going to be your problem. <laughs> Five years later, he is making no apologies. And there are some people who felt they didn't see on your part enough reflection hmm. or regret. Hmm. What would you say to that? I can only tell what I honestly feel. Hmm. It was a mutual flirtation. There was no kissing, there was no hugging, there was, I mean, it was, you know, a sort of, a sort of flirtation that thousands of people did before me, and I hope they take my case as a warning that you should not. You should not be friends with a female colleague. It's dangerous. Well, you could argue that. You should never put your hand on a female colleague, ever. It's dangerous. You could argue, based on the emails that you released, that it was more than a Friendship. Well, call it what you will. What would you call it? Friendship.
But Minnesota Public Radio found a pattern of improper behavior after the woman, a researcher for the show, accused Keeler of dozens of sexually inappropriate incidents. She also accused him of three instances of unwanted touching, according to the Minneapolis Star-Tribune. In his defense, the married Keeler shared hundreds of emails with the woman with the newspaper. In one, they reported, he imagined them having sex on an airplane. Later, he imagined them naked in bed in his hotel room. She replied that the image of us lying together is sweet. Before a settlement was reached, the woman told the Associated Press, through her attorney, that Keeler was her mentor and employer, adding, He had power over me. Every time I said no or tried to avoid him, I feared I was saying no to my future. In a news statement to CBS News, her attorney said, Our client disputes assertions that there was a mutual attraction or consent. I would have been grateful if an angry person had walked up to me and, and, and said, this is what you did to me. This was the effect that it had on me. Do you think you crossed the line in any way in that relationship? Evidently, I did. But, but do you if think so, you did? If so, I crossed the line in a way that if you were to dismiss Everybody else who had crossed the line, there would be no staff left and there would be no management whatsoever. The culture changed. The culture changed. The culture changed. Keeler reached a settlement and signed a confidentiality agreement. But it was a dreadful, dreadful mistake. A person should never sign away your right to tell your side of the story. Perhaps his greatest anger, though, was directed at Minnesota Public Radio. I worked for the company for 40 years, and I was dismissed with a phone call. The phone call took about a minute and a half. There was no thank you, you know. Mm -hmm. But I had already retired, so yeah, that makes it easy. But you lost your book deal. You yeah. lost your newspaper column. Yeah. Keeler doesn't spend much time in his native Minnesota anymore. So do you think of New York as home now? Oh, sure. You do? That's, it's where my wife wants to be. He does occasional one-man shows, mostly in smaller cities. Me Too issues don't seem to deter his audiences. I do not doubt part of the accusation, but I completely doubt that the, uh, the punishment fit the crime. Absolutely not. Everything's got a season, uh, but... This season ain't done yet. I guess what I'm asking is, do you feel like you've been unfairly tarred by this? I'm not taking a poll about my reputation, my public uh, image or anything. Do you care about it? I don't. I have um, friends and family, and there are a certain number of people who still love to come out and uh, hear about Lake Wobegon. Mm -hmm. And that's enough. What more does one want? But that's the news from Lake Wobegon, where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. Thank you for listening. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning.
If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.